Welcome to Grace Family Church. We are so glad you decided to check out our podcast. Our prayer is that this teaching from Pastor Tommy will encourage your faith and lead you towards the greatness God has planned for you. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoy this message. We want to go ahead and jump into our message today. I've been sharing for the last two weeks uh, on, a, on a series entitled Family Values. Um, and really what we're talking about are, you know, uh, a while back the Lord, uh, probably in the fall and, and late winter, the Lord began to deal with me about the fact that, you know, we have a vision as a church to be a group of people where you can meet friends, worship God, hear the word, and be a blessing. That's, you know, and, and you, should, that's, you should know those things. That's our vision, right? Uh, you know, and then our, that's really our mission, and our mission will, will foster our vision of just being an ever-growing church where we're seeing people make commitments to Christ and we're sowing constantly into stateside and overseas missions. But, you know, as I was thinking about that call to be a church where we truly meet, each, meet together as friends and we worship God and we hear the word and be a blessing, the Lord challenged me and said, you know, that, that mission or that strategy, uh, it won't work unless the, each person in the body embraces certain very specific values that will feed into that, uh, that, that desire to be that, right? And that call that we have as a church to be that. And so, and so this series is really about us all embracing values, not only that will help us individually, but also collectively embracing values that will cause us to be the church that God has called us to be. And so, um, and so in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, that's the foundational text the Lord laid on my heart for this series. And so we'll read that, and then we'll just pray together and believe God for what he has for us today. Because as we talk about these values as a church, God also recognizes that you're valuable to him and you have things in your own life that you need. And I just believe the Spirit of God can uh, speak through me and use me and, and just believe, y'all believe God to help, him to help me do that, right? Uh, to actually touch the areas of your need that you may have come here with today, okay? So let's, let's read this and then we'll pray. It says, um, you also, speaking of each one of us here this morning, as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning in the name of Jesus, and thank you so much for the opportunity we've had to worship you and experience your presence, for the fellowship we've had with one another, to shake hands and hug necks and share life together. Uh, And I just pray that as we approach your word this morning that you'll use me to speak through me to your people, that, you know, what's been prepared to be said will be the things that you want to be said and the things that are not uh, really necessary this morning, that you'll just move those on. And that we'll be able to say by the end of this, we've heard from heaven, um, you've touched our hearts, and that we're better because we came to church this morning. So I just give you all the praise, and I'll give you all the glory for that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, that, that opening text says that we are being built a spiritual house or into a spiritual house, as some translations say. And so, you know, God is working on us. Look at your neighbor and say, he's still working on me. Amen. None of us have arrived yet. I can tell you none of us have. I haven't. You haven't. We're all being worked on. And so what that verse says is is that God is working on us. We are being built into the house that he wants us to be. And so there is a work taking place. And, you know, if you think about the fact that God is working on his house, 
then he's looking to put things in that house that would make him say, man, this is where I want to be, right? Uh, I mean, th- and, and we really sort of use the analogy of house shopping and how, you know, some people live in a house that they found and bought that's just right for them, but other people bought a house because they needed a house. It was a stick-built house, and, you know, it wasn't custom-made for them. And so when they moved in, they see things they want to change, and some people do renovations, and they work on their house to get there. And then other people are like, you know, I'm selling this one, and I'm just going to custom-build a house. I'm going to meet with an architect. I'm going to have that design made just what I want, and I'm going to custom-build a house. Well, I I believe that God wants to live in a custom-made house. I don't believe he wants to live in a stick-built house. And what I mean by that is I don't believe he wants to live and dwell in our midst because we built something for him. I believe he wants to dwell in our midst because we allowed him to build something through us. We allowed him to work on us. We allowed him to cause us to be what it is he's called us to be. You know, the Holy Spirit spoke this phrase in my heart as I was preparing this series, and it was this phrase, the quality of the things that make up the house are what attracts the inhabitant to live there. And so, you know, as we allow the quality of what's being built in us to be the very things that God wants to be here, then he will manifest himself more readily. Not because he's waiting for us to do something, but because we create an atmosphere that's conducive for him to show himself strong on our behalf. You know, and so, you know, we've even used the, we've even talked about or given the example, you know, just because somebody is here this morning doesn't mean that you've recognized them, Right? There may be somebody here, if you look around the room for a moment, you'd be like, oh, I didn't even recognize they were here, right? And so there's a difference in someone being here and being recognized that they're here. And that's the difference in the presence of God being amongst us and the manifest presence of God being amongst us. You know, he is here whether we get, when we gather in his name no matter what. But we want to be a place where when we show up, it is evident, I was touched by Jesus this morning. I was touched by his spirit. And so the way we do that is by embracing and and allowing the things that he wants here in our midst. And so we've been talking about three basic values. and And I pray that if you call this your church home or if you're considering a church home that that is that you would actually understand that this is the this should be the DNA of our church. When people think about us, this should be sort of the essence of who we are. And here are these three values. Matter of fact, um, I was going to do something this morning. I've been talking about three of them. But uh, who can tell me what the first value is we've been talking about? Can anybody raise your hand and tell me what that first value is? Because i got something for you if you can tell me. What is it? We love God with all of our hearts. And so I'm going to give this to you because I actually I just wanted to bless you for, for listening uh, over here. Um, so Bev tried to take it. Um, you know, Bev, you're a lot older than me and you're a lot wiser than me. But I will tell you this, when it comes to any money that comes into my family, it goes right through my hands to my wife. And so you need to remember that. Um, but anyway, um, though that being said, you know, our, our, our values are simply this, these three things. Number one, and I believe these are the things that the Lord spoke to my heart that should be our DNA. Number one, we love God with all of our hearts. We love God with everything that is in us. I would encourage you to let that settle down. And when you recognize if you call this your home, then that is the number one value. We, we, this is the number one thing we value here, that we love God. With everything. If somebody asks you, what are y'all all about? Number one, we love God with all of our hearts. 
And we talked over the last two weeks, I'm not going to go back and redo that message, but we talked over the last two weeks about loving God and what that looks like and what that means to truly say I love God with everything within me. Number two value is this, we value others as much as God does. And so I'm going to begin talking this morning about loving others as much as God does. I want to talk to you today about really, uh, for us to be able to love others like God does, then we need to see people like God sees people. If you don't see people like God does, you won't value them like he does. You may place some value on them from your own personal perspective, but I'll tell you what will happen is, you know, our perspective, our human perspectives, they're not divine perspectives. They have to be influenced by God. And if we see people through our own perspective, we will value people differently. We will stack rank people as more valuable. Just by sheer human nature that happens. But we don't want to be a church like that. Because God is not like that. We want to be a church where, where we value everyone. We see the value of everyone equally. And for us to see the value of everyone equally, like God does, we have to see people through his eyes. And to see people through his eyes, there are really two things I'm going to talk to you about today. Because he sees us through two lenses, two perspectives. The first one I want to talk to you about is this one, that God sees us. Everybody say us. So I want you to recognize, as I talk about seeing people, I don't want you to just hear this message in a third-party mentality, like you're, you know, you're hearing this for someone else. Because this also applies to you. What does that mean? God sees us, each one of us. He sees you this morning in the light of eternity. For us to value others and for us to value ourselves the way God does, we have to see ourselves in the light of eternity. God is a spiritual eternal being and his first view of us is from this perspective, from the scope of eternity. See, we live temporary lives. We live on this planet, right? And we often see our lives from this per the perspective of what's going on in our life right now. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit later in this message. But the first thing we have to understand is God, when he first looks at us, the first thing he sees us is in the light of the scope of eternity, far beyond the span of the time you'll spend on this planet. Psalm chapter 90 and verse 2 said, Before the mountains were born, or before you had given birth to the earth, speaking of God and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, I love the way the message says this, from once upon a time to kingdom come, you are the eternal God. See, recognize that God is eternal. He was here before there ever was a planet. I want you to think about that minute. Before there was space, before there was, before there was the light, right? There was God. He's always been. He's an eternal being. And whether we acknowledge it or not, when He created us, He created us in His image, the Scripture says, and, be, and being created in His image, whether you acknowledge it or not, you will live and exist forever. <laughs> the question is where you will exist forever. See, God sees us in the light of eternity. And when God created us, He created us to dwell forever with Him. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. 
See, we need to recognize this morning, you know, we get so self-focused, but we were created for Him. (laughs) That is the reason we were created. It's how we were designed. We were structured and, and put together in a manner that without Him, we are not sufficient. Without Him, we can't be satisfied. He sees us this way, and even more so, not only did He create us for His pleasure, because that would seem very, uh, like, well, you're just a pawn on a thing for me, right? On, on, a, on, a, on a checkerboard, well, you don't have pawns in checker, right? You're just a checker on a checkerboard or a pawn on a chessboard for me, right? That would, that would seem that way, that the only reason we were created was just to bring Him pleasure. But that, to bring him pleasure is a matter of perspective of what brings him pleasure, right? What does that mean we were created to bring him pleasure? Were we created just to get under his thumb and to bend a knee so that he could say, Hi, I got my little minions. No, we were created to be loved by him and that brings him pleasure. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4 says, Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family and by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. See, what that verse says is that God created us so that he would have someone that he could love. Now, he created us so that he could have someone that he could love. Why are we different than angels? Let me tell you why we're different than angels. We're different than angels because God wanted us, and he, or to have, for, for him to have someone that would love him willfully, that would make a choice to say, I love you because I want to. Right? And so we need to understand that God has created us in such a way that we are insufficient without Him, but He created us also in such a way that we would love Him so that it would satisfy something in Him. To be loved. You want to know why you want to be loved so much? Because you're created in God's image. God is the same. It's it's very similar to a couple's decision to have a child. You know, I think about the volatility in the world today, and, you know, if, if people were practical thinkers, they probably would never have a child and bring a child into this mess. But why do we do it? Because we want someone to love, and we want someone to love us back. God created us with that same risk of us turning away from Him, that same risk of willfully not choosing Him, because He He desires us to live and dwell and be loved by Him forever. Not just in this life, but for all eternity. But we all know the story, right? He created us that way, but we all know the story. Adam sinned, right? Fell from that place of willful worship and loyalty and loving of God. And that fall from grace separated man from a holy God. It not only separated us from God, but it also separated God from us. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 6 says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Out of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat. For in that day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. I've often said this if you've been here very long. That actual phrase, surely die, is actually the same word. It says, In that day you shall die, die. It's the same 
Hebrew word. And what that really means is, is that when, when he said to Adam, when you sin, in, in sinning, you will die spiritually, and in dying spiritually, you will eventually die physically. See, God created Adam to live forever, both spiritually and physically. But Adam, when he sinned, he separated himself from God. And when he separated himself from God, he separated himself from the source of life. And in so doing, physically, eventually that caught up with him and he died physically. And that choice affected every human being on the planet. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 says, When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone. Now notice this, it's not just Adam's fault. Because I, I, you know, a lot of people say, when I get to heaven, I'm going to punch Adam in the mouth. He just messed it up for all of us. But it says there, for everyone sinned. So what that verse tells us is that that sin separates us from God. It doesn't mean that we die naturally. It means we die spiritually. You become separated from God. And that spiritual death dooms a man, listen to this, this is important, to separation from God unless someone intervenes. It, it dooms man to be separated from God for all eternity. Not just in this temporary life, but for all eternity. Jesus told the story in Luke chapter 16 and verse 19. He tells the story of a rich man and Lazarus. Now what I've done for the sake of time, is I've extracted the story of the rich man. You can go back and read the whole thing. But I want you to see what happened to the rich man when he died in his sins. It, just, it says, Jesus continued, there once was a very rich man who had the finest things imaginable, living every day enjoying his life of opulent luxury. Now one thing you need to understand is, it, it, he didn't go to, it, what happens to him from this point forward is not because he was a rich man. It happened to him because he wasn't a righteous man. And the only way you get righteous is by accepting Jesus. Right? And so what happened to him was this. It says, the day came that the rich man died, and in hell he looked up, and in hell he looked up. From his torment and saw Abraham in a distance. And the rich man, now there's a whole lot you could teach there about Scripture and hell and Abraham and all of that, but we, for the sake of time, I'm not gonna. But if you want to pick it up after service, you'd be happy to come talk to me. But it says, the rich man shouted, Father Abraham, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. So he was not in a good place. <laughs> but Abraham responded, Between us is a huge chasm that cannot be bridged, nor can anyone cross one, from one realm to the other, even if he wanted to. So what that tells me is that when a man that is not righteous, when a man dies in his sins, he goes. Matter of fact, if you look in Luke chapter 16 in the, in the original text, it says Jesus said there was a certain rich man. That word certain means very real. This wasn't a parable. This wasn't a story. This was talking about a very real man. And this very real man, when he died in his sins, was carried to this place, the Bible calls it hell. And it says he was in torment. Anguish. Not only that, but it was something he could not get out of. After his time on this planet was over, he could not get out of there even if he wanted to. Even if Abraham wanted to get him out, he couldn't have. Why do I share all that with you this morning? Because God views all of us in the light of eternity with that perspective. That every human being's 
Eternal destiny hangs in the balance. And without some sort of intervention, some sort of someone reaching in, man is destined to spend eternity in hell without God. Not because God designed it that way, but because men chose to sin and turn away from Him. But aren't you glad God intervened? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. Here we see the perspective of God. Here we see the value He places upon people. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That everlasting life, it doesn't mean you live forever. It means you have life like God has it. You have His life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. God loves us so much and values every single person on this planet so much that He gave His Son to die on a cross for us. That was the mission of Jesus. His mission wasn't to prove that He was God. His mission was to save the lost. Luke chapter 19 and verse 10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. In most Bibles that's written in red. Jesus said, this is my mission, to seek and save the lost. Jesus is desperately this morning seeing the world through that perspective, the lens of eternity. That every single human being on the planet is in a position to either spend heaven, spend eternity in heaven with God, or eternity in hell separated from Him. And the key to actually enjoying that is seen right there in that verse we read in John 3.16. To many as believed on Him, right? If we will believe on Him, if we will accept Him. And so we must understand that one of the lenses God sees people through is the lens of eternity. And so if we want to value people as God does, as one of our core pieces of DNA of us as a church, then we have to see every single person through that lens. We have to understand that every person in our life has eternity at stake. Every person in our life has an eternal destiny. And and without God, that eternal destiny is not a good place. You know, when you begin to recognize, it doesn't, you know, I've watched this at times, you know, when there's an emergency and there's a house on fire, nobody considers whether the person is poor or rich. Nobody considers whether they're black or white. Nobody considers whether they're up or down. All they recognize is that that person needs to be saved. There's value placed upon the life. For us to be a church that values people as God does, we have to see every single person that is sitting here this morning, every single person that that he, he brings to us as this. I got it. We'll just go with Shannon's. We have to understand that every single person that walks in here is valuable to God because their eternal destiny is at stake. It'll change the way you treat people. You won't just look past them. You'll see them for who they really are. So we must value people. 
eternity is at stake, and that should be the overarching DNA of our church. Everything we do is towards this end, that we can win people to Jesus, that we can love them into the kingdom of God. Amen? Secondly, not only does God see us from an eternal perspective, but he also sees us in light of our temporary needs. See, sometimes I think, you know, we can, we can because that's such a priority, eternity, and it is, right? How I many realize whatever happens on this planet is a blip. After it's over, we're in, we're in eternal, right? <laughs> that sometimes I think we can minimize and think that, you know, well, because that's so important that, you know, anything that I'm dealing with down here is really not that important to God. But I want you to understand something, that not only does God view us through the lens of eternity, he also views us through the lens of your temporary situation. Just because he sees us in the light of eternity doesn't mean he's, a callous, he's callous to your immediate and temporal needs this morning. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35 says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogue, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Well, sickness and disease are certainly temporary. How many of you realize when you die and you go to heaven, you ain't got to deal with that no more? So that was a temporary thing that he could have said, well, you know, just suffer through it till you get to heaven. No, he cared about temporary pain that people deal with. It says, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Jesus saw the temporary needs of the multitudes. And I want to let you know this morning, he sees whatever you're dealing with this morning, whatever burden you walked in here with, whatever challenge you're facing, he sees that need. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7 says, Casting all, the whole of your care in the Amplified, all of your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all on him. Now that's important. We should cast our cares on him, right? Otherwise we're trying to fix it ourselves. But the point I'm, I really want to focus on this morning is the last part of this verse. For he cares for you affectionately and cares about you watchfully. I want your faith to rise this morning in the understanding that he cares about what you're dealing with. No matter how little it is, no matter how big it is, he cares about that need and meeting that need as much as he cares about meeting your eternal need. They're both important to him. Luke chapter 2 and verse 6 says, God doesn't abandon or forget even the small sparrow. This is what Jesus said. God doesn't abandon or forget even the small sparrow he has made. How then could he forget or abandon you? What, are you, what, what about the seemingly minor issues of your life? Do they matter to God? Of course they do. For you are more valuable, God, than anything else in this world. God cares. Do you see that verse? Now that's the Passion Translation, but it says that God cares about the little things in your life. And we should, be, so think about it for a minute. If he cares about the little things, then we should too, if we say we value people as much as God does. We should see people the same way. We should look at people in the light of the fact that everybody in here this morning has needs. See, sometimes we're so self-focused or we're so time-focused that we rush in, we rush out, but we don't stop to really see each other. We should be a church that truly sees each other. Because why? Because people have needs. 
People have emotional needs. We, how many of you realize we have emotional needs? We were designed to be loved. And sometimes the only love a person will feel is the, of God that they'll feel is the love of Jesus coming through you. We're designed to meet needs. We're designed to touch the needs of others. And so people have emotional needs. People have spiritual needs. People need to be discipled and people need to grow so that they have a life worthy to lay before the Lord and say, this is my offering to you. Right? So that they're not fearfully standing before God afraid that they're going to get in by the skin of their teeth, but they could say, you know, not because I, I, I earned it, right, but because I, this is, I did this because I love you, right? People need to be discipled in how to live that kind of life. It's why we have altar care workers and we have a spiritual personal trainer program. It's why we spent two months putting that together back in the fall last year. Because we value people enough to spend time with them and disciple them and help meet their spiritual needs. People have physical needs. Financially, people have needs. Physically, people have needs. We have physical needs, and, and we have to be willing and, and allow God to see, us, see people. Th Do you realize people walked in here with needs this morning? Physical needs. Are we callous to that? We should be a church that's looking and sensitive to allow God to use us to meet that need. And there are even social needs. You know, social needs. What do I mean by social needs? We weren't designed to live life alone. God said it is not good that man should be alone. We're not designed to live alone. And when people walk through these doors coming to church, they're not just looking for God. They may not realize it or not. They're looking for friends, Christian friends that will support them and love them. We should value people enough to say, whoever walks through that door, God's bringing them to me to help meet those needs in their life through the gifts and the talents and the abilities that I have. As the musicians come, Romans chapter 12 and verse 10, we're going to take communion in just a moment, but I want you to hear this verse as they come. This verse says, be devoted to one another with authentic Brotherly affection as members of one family give preference to one another in honor. I want to read that verse again because I don't want you to be distracted just by the team coming. Listen real closely. It says, be devoted to one another with authentic. Everybody say authentic. With authentic brotherly affection as, me as members of one family give preference to one another in honor. We should value one another authentically, Right? You know, when I, when I first started this church back in 2001, the Lord led me to do it, the, 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 the catchphrase for our church was real people, real life, real fun. And the reason I focused on the word real was because I really feel like, I really feel like God wanted us to be authentic. We didn't just say we love people. We didn't just say we love God. We were very real about it, Right? We need to authentically love each other. That means, that means that we need to, when people walk through the doors, genuinely take the time to stop and not just see them, but to see them. Right? That should be the DNA of our church. Now, i got to tell you, we, we do a really a pretty good job of this. Most people would tell you. I mean, I've always said that one of, the, one of the characteristics of our church, the best way to describe it is a warm and welcoming atmosphere. We should have a warm and welcoming atmosphere. When people show up, man, they just feel like, man, I just stepped into a warm blanket. People value me. They love me. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 and 10 in the Passion says it this way. It says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. <laughs> That's pretty blunt, right? 
Love each with genuine affection, taking delight in honoring each other, honoring each other. See, when we talk about we value other people, what that means is, is that we honor them. What does it mean to honor someone? It means to esteem them, to show them dignity, to deem them as valuable. What does that mean? It means we don't stack rank people by what they look like, where they came from. Every person that walks through this door, if you're a member of this church and you call this church your home, your attitude should be that is a precious child of God. You know, any guy that ever wants to date my daughter, one of the things I've always prepared to say to them was simply this, you need to treat them like they're God's little girl, not my little girl. Because you're going to give an account to him one day And if you don't treat them that way, you're going to give an account to me too. But the the reality is this. Every single person on this planet is God's creation. That he sees in the light of eternity. That he sees the temporary needs they're going through. And we should value them. John chapter 13 and verse 34 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Well, how did he love us? He laid down his life. He put others first. He saw the multitudes and was moved with compassion. That you also love one another. By this shall men know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. And so we have to love like Jesus loves. You know, as we read that verse, he looked and saw the multitudes, but he didn't just see the multitudes. He didn't see a crowd coming. He saw their needs. He saw their hurts. He saw their wants, and it moved him with compassion. Have you taken the time this morning to look around you? Now, you know, this is a decent-sized group. I'm believing we're going to fill all these seats. It'd be virtually humanly impossible to see everybody that way, but, man, have you stopped to look at anybody and say, Lord, would you have me encourage them? shake their hand would you have me bless them is there anything else you have me do for them that needs to be our mindset thanks for listening to our grace family church podcast we really hope you enjoyed this message if this ministry has blessed you in any way we would love for you to get connected just go to gfcva.info to learn more about who we are how to give to this ministry or how you can get involved thanks again for listening and we hope to see you soon